This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Writing a book itself is a lot of slog, a lot of hard work, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of sitting in your room, in my case, hiding from my family on my bed, just going, I'm shit, this is shit, this is never going to work. But then when you finish it, like it's a, it's a rush and a sense of satisfaction, like Hello everyone, welcome to today's episode of the Nasty Woman Club. I'm your host, Demi Lynch. For those of you that know me, I have become one of those annoying people that starts every sentence with, have you listened to that podcast? They were talking about this topic. Oh yeah, on this podcast, they were talking about that. Yes, on this podcast, they were saying about this. Yes, I have sadly become one of those people. And for those that know me, know that the podcast I'm always talking about when I start off a sentence with those phrases is Mamma Mia Out Loud. I have been a huge fan of the podcast for like four years now. It's these candid conversations between three women from the Mamma Mia office and it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. They talk about political issues to really dumb, stupid topics that just give you a laugh, to then also topics that you and your girlfriends are probably having every single week. And at the moment, the three hosts are Mia Friedman, Jesse Stevens, and Holly Wainwright. And I'm very excited to announce that I got to speak with Holly Wainwright on today's episode. I remember actually seeing the three of these ladies back in 2018 when they did their first live show in Brisbane on International Women's Day. And they are even funnier in person. I didn't even think that was possible, but they are. And it made me love the three of them even more and made me love the podcast even more. So before you even listen in to the rest of this episode, make sure you go over to Mamma Mia on the podcast app and subscribe. You will not regret it. Their episodes are hilarious and just witty and fun to listen to. And they now release three per week because of the lockdowns. So thank the Lord. Anyway, so for today's episode, I spoke with the delightful Holly Wainwright, the one that is always honest about how crappy the pandemic is for when you have to homeschool your kids (laughs) due to lockdowns. So I spoke to her about that, about her honesty and how it's been really helpful for parents. Just hearing her talk about the fact that homeschooling your kids during lockdown isn't all great as it seems to be on social media. We also spoke about her latest book coming out next month. It is called I Give My Marriage a Year. This is her third book. And if you haven't read her other two books, make sure you head to the links in today's show notes. Highly recommend you do. And I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. This is Holly Wainwright. 
Hello. Hello. So Holly, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for asking me. And I have to admit, it's very, very weird actually talking to you and not listening into your conversations <laughs> three times a week, which sounds very creepy for those that don't know. Holly is one of the hosts on Mamma Mia Out Loud, which is now airing three times a week, which thank you, by the way, for doing that three <laughs> instead of twice a week. No worries. We decided, so Mamma Mia Out Loud was once a week for years, and then we upped our game to twice a week. And then during, when everybody went into lockdown, we decided, what do people really need? And we said, more of us, that's what people need. <laughs> no, but then we did kind of realise that, you know, we have a very tight, we have a, a large but very tight audience on Out Loud. And it was a time when everybody was hungry for content and also just for reassurance. And Mia, Jesse, and I are certainly not experts in any particular field, but we love talking to each other and to women about the things that are obsessing them or what they're thinking about. And so we, just, we thought that going three times a week seemed fitting at that time. And now that we're three times a week, I don't think we can go back. <laughs> yes. I thought for a second you were going to say, oh, we'll go back to twice a week. And you're just like, no, no. No. I think we're going to stay through it thrice weekly now. I think we've got, we're, we're too into it. Yes, yes. Well, as a, yes, as a regular listener, yes, very thankful for that. Definitely helped me survive COVID, that's for sure. Oh, good. Good. That was the aim. <laughs> So what I firstly wanted to look into with this interview is discuss how you got into the world of journalism and to Mamma Mia and podcasting, because before all that, firstly, you were all the way on the other side of the world. You were in the UK and you were doing gossip magazines. How did that all start for you? What was that gossip mag industry like? Oh, well, it was fun, but uh, slightly unethical, but <laughs> it was fun. Um, so I'm originally from Manchester in the north of England, which is uh, a big uh, city, a big sort of industrial city, and famously home to amazing musicians and uh, like Oasis, for example, that kind of thing. And the Smiths, for anyone who wants to Google them, have a look, Manchester, marvelous place. But I left Manchester when I was 19 to go and study journalism at um, a college that doesn't exist anymore in London. And I always knew I wanted to be, well, I didn't always know I wanted to be a journalist, but I always knew I wanted to be a writer because to be honest, it was the only thing I was ever very good at. I was one of those kids who couldn't add up at all, but could string a sentence together. That was always my thing. So I went to study journal magazine journalism. You could study that then. I bet you can't study that now um, yeah. in London. And I did that for a year. And uh, then I went straight into the world of work. So I did a lot of work experience as you do, as you did in those days, including at the BBC. And then I worked for this magazine in London that was for travelers. Now, Again, I'm quite old, so it's hard to imagine this, but when I was living in London, Aussies and Kiwis who lived in London couldn't just look on the internet to get their news. Well, they could, but it was just kind of beginning, you know? Yeah. So there was this magazine that published all the Australian and Kiwi news and sports results and music and stuff. And for reasons that I'm not even clear about, that's where I got one of my first jobs and I was the entertainment editor there. So I compiled all the listings, like the band listings and theatre listings, it was a great job to be a broke 20 year old, 21 year old in London on because I got to go to everything for free, which was fabulous. Anyway, um, I did that for a few years and I, I met all these Aussies and Kiwis when I was doing that, right? So 
I thought I wanted to go traveling and I thought I would go, and this is when I was 23 by this time, I thought I wanted to go traveling and that I'd come to Australia for a year, but actually I never went back. <laughs> so <laughs> I came traveling to Australia as a backpacker, I guess, with some journalism experience and some uh, background in TV and magazine journalism. And I traveled around Australia for a while and had a ball and, and discovered how much I loved this place and um, its history and its spirit and so many things. I mean, I just uh, love Australia. And I um, ended up in Sydney and trying to get into magazines there. And for a while, again, I worked for a travel publication and a few different things. And then I landed in the world of weekly gossip mags. It's funny to think about now because it's quite a while ago, but I used to love weekly gossip mags. Like I used to love them, not necessarily the really salacious ones where everything was made up, but I loved um, Who magazine as it was then. I mean, it still does exist, but I used to love all of the, of the gossipy stuff. And although I was always very interested, I was always quite literary in my personal reading and I was always very interested in politics and current affairs and all that stuff. I always had this sweet spot for celebrity world. Yeah. So I fell into gossip mags. I worked there for quite a few years um, and there were things that were great about it. Uh, and there were things that I really began to question as I got a little bit more towards, I don't want to say that as I matured, like one of the turning points for me about knowing I needed to leave Gossip Mags, two things. One is that the media industry had shifted so much and all the exciting things seemed to be happening online. Magazine sales were obviously sinking and nothing very exciting was happening in magazine land by then. Yep. And I was seeing all these people and friends of mine, associates or whatever, who were working online and it seemed like this big, exciting world. And so I really wanted to do that. But also ethically, I began to struggle with Gossip Mag world. I mean, I've always been a feminist and proudly so. Um, but I think I'd somehow managed to cut, sort of compartmentalise in my mind the fact that an enormous number of covers, magazine covers that I put together, like I'm totally complicit, yeah. Um, at that time, were all about, you know, lose five kilos fast, you know, look at Kim Kardashian cellulite, like I was doing that. And I think for a long time, I could kind of distance myself from the reality of that. And then I had a daughter. And I know that's a cliche, massive cliche. I sound like one of those men who's like, no, I have a daughter. So I think it's wrong to sexually harass women. But like, I, I had a daughter. And I remember when I went back to work after mat leave, I suddenly felt like I really needed to do something I was proud of. Like I, I was like, if I'm going to leave my kids every day and I'm going to work this hard, because I worked really hard, like in every publishing job I've ever had, everybody works exceptionally hard. Um, but I, I thought I want to be proud of it. And that's when I decided I needed to make the jump to digital media, which is what I did. Because that would have been such a shift in ethics because with Mamma Mia, like, for example, they don't use ever any paparazzi photos or anything like that. That would have been such a different shift because, yeah, for example, with that, like, yeah, with Gossip Mags, they love some good paparazzi photos. You would have had great relationships with that. They then go to Mamma Mia, which has got very, a lot of feminist yes. values and ideals. What was that adjustment like? Well, it's funny because I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on magazines because although the magazine industry is in a very sorry state at the moment, I still have a lot of friends in that industry. I had a great time and I don't 
as I was saying, I don't want to pretend that I was too good for it because I certainly wasn't. I was splashing around in that muddy world. Um, part of the job in magazine world in those days, I couldn't vouch whether or not it's the same, but every morning I'd go in and me and the editor would look at all the paparazzi pictures that had come in overnight from the, with the picture editor would take you through them. And you were always trying to catch out somebody doing something they shouldn't. You were always trying to catch out an unflattering angle. Like that is literally how it works. You know, it's like, oh, look at her there. Oh, could she be pregnant? Like that's literally how everybody imagines it is. It kind of is like that, um, which is terrible and, uh, and nothing to be proud of. And I knew I didn't really want to do that anymore. And when I came to Mamma Mia, which is where I came to, so I my first conversation at Mamma Mia was with Jamila Rizvi, who was the editor at the time and um, who is amazing and had a really great background in politics, which really interested me. I've always been really interested in politics. It's not my area of expertise, but I like it. And I um, had my first interview with her and I realized how different this job would be on so many levels and it really excited me. Like, I don't know if there's anyone listening who you go into a job interview and you just come out and you're like, I really, really, really want that. Like it felt really in my bones. And I'm not talking out of turn when I say that where I was at in magazines at that time and then I came to digital, I had to take quite a pay cut to do that because I was quite senior and there was a lot more money in magazines in those days. Um, and that was obviously going to be a stress and a pressure for me and my kids and my family. But I just knew in my belly that it was the right thing to do and that these women I'd met here, Mia, and I just, I wanted to work with them. So it was a massive jump. It was a massive jump. It fitted my personal ethics a lot better. But the first couple of years of working in digital media was absolutely brutal. <laughs> it's really, it's a tough game. Like it's, yeah. you have, your performance review is minute to minute. You know, you, you are looking at, when I was first here, I was editing the site and you, you know, you're constantly looking at the numbers and what are people interested in and what they're not. And it's, it's a really tough game and it's 24 seven. There's no question about that either. So the first couple of years were like, we always say drinking from a fire hose. And then I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And then, you know, the world of media is always shifting. And that's one of the things I've really learned is you've just, you, nothing is forever. You can't take it for granted. It's so funny for me to think now about those magazine years and how we would have thought that this was always going to be this, you know, this big office building that we all worked in and that magazines were always going to be this big powerhouse. We, we couldn't foresee at that time that what would happen. Anyway, I digress. Um, and then Mamma Mia started to really diversify into podcasts and that became a bigger part of my role and I ran the podcast department for quite a while and yeah it's just been an amazing experience of learning all these different parts of media and how exciting it is I can't tell you but yes it certainly suits my personal ethics better to be working at a place that um, working with a whole lot of women, listening to women's stories all day, every day. We don't do diet stories. We don't run paparazzi imagery. You know, we, we have a general policy that we want people to come away from Mamma Mia feeling better than when they came. I'm not saying that we 100% of the time would get that right, but that's the philosophy. I work with all these really ex inspiring young women. It's a much, much more positive environment for me and for the world. Yeah. <laughs> <I think. laughs> yeah. Having said that, my disclaimer is always that, as I say, I've still got lots of great mates who are in mags and that was a great time too. But for me, it was the right move. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. You're the host of two podcasts, so Mamma Mia Out Loud and This Glorious Mess. And because of that, you're not only... Because with the rest of the website, you know, you're writing opinion pieces and articles and writing all these stories. But with the podcast, you're expressing your thoughts. And from that, a lot of people have related to you in regards to parenting, in particular with COVID situation. <laughs> and like, you know, there's even been a quiz made about you, Jessie <laughs> and Mia. What has it been like seeing that you and in particular Mia and Jesse as well you three have become the story as well like people are really connecting to you guys like if you have more Holly's thoughts or Mia's thoughts or Jesse's thoughts kind of thing what's that big change been like for you um look it's weird to think about that to be honest because we see ourselves I think particularly in the room when we're doing it we're talking to each other but we know we're talking to this audience of women in a very like almost abstract way. Um, it's fine though, like I, I'm fine with it because it's overwhelmingly a positive experience. We are all savvy enough on Mamma Mia Out Loud, I hope. Sometimes we misstep on this, but we are all savvy enough. Like we're not there to make people angry or to like espouse outrageous views to get a reaction. We're not there to criticize people or to, um, make anyone feel bad about themselves or their choices we don't as I say we're not perfect in the world the news cycle is ever challenging and so it can be a delicate line to walk but we really want to be kind of part of a conversation we don't really see ourselves as dictating it as such um it is the weirdest thing is that I certainly wouldn't really want to be I've got the teeniest taste of being famous it is when I'm in big W with my children and I'm screaming at them and someone will say, I know that voice. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the way, isn't it? it has to be when screaming at the kids, I'll be like, I know that person somewhere. <laughs> and, um, people uh, like recognize my voice more than they recognize me. And that's, that's fine with me. Um, and also, I mean, obviously out loud is, is a big and popular show, but uh, Mia is a very famous person, but certainly Jesse and I aren't, but the people who are out loud is generally really fun and interesting. And we, we really got to meet them all when we were touring last year. So last year, Mama Mia out loud did quite a big capital cities and regional tour. And it was absolutely wonderful. Um, it was so great oh it was the best thing that ever happened right like I just it was the favorite my favorite thing I've ever done in my job and again talking about career I never would have expected that that was where I would be one day is like dancing on a stage in a light routine yes (laughs) so it's uh you know it's um it's a surprising turn, but I love it. Like it's the most, the most fun part of my job is sitting down with those two women or three women with the producer Lem in the studio every week and like, well, three times a week and working out what we're going to talk about. It's great. But no, I think it's, 
it was funny because when we did the quiz that you're talking about Demi which is the quiz that we did for our 500th episode like are you a Mia or Jesse or Holly for us that was all a lot that was a bit of a line of like oh we don't generally like to make it about us but it was fun like it was fun it was good and um yeah I generally there's a lot of love out there for that show so it's positive experience whereas sometimes when you write on the internet which I obviously do also that is not always such a positive experience oh no it's not (laughs) I think it was on um was it Friday's or Monday's episode? You spoke about some comments you got from an article. Was that Monday or Friday's? Yeah, it was Monday's show. Monday's, I think yesterday's yeah. show. We, yeah. Anyone who writes on the internet knows that you're you're um, open to uh, opposing views, and of course you are, and that's why you're there, right? But also, any woman who writes on the internet will tell you that those opposing views can very often turn quite toxic and aggressive. And I get a taste of that every now and again. Like I don't. I don't generally write very controversial things, um, but I wrote a piece recently about Pete Evans that looking back on it was possibly a little bit too angry. (laughs) Just because we all, we often say it, Mamma Mia. Yeah, I know it's hard not to be, but you, that you put anger out, you get anger back. So it's a fine line between walking that line. And I think possibly looking back at that story, I didn't walk it well enough. However, I got a lot of online abuse. <laughs> and so you get used to, you, you do have to get used to that to a point and it's a difficult thing to get used to. But to be honest, any online abuse I cop is nothing to the kind of online abuse that women of color cop or, you know, anyone from a minority cops. I like, it's, it's kind of an eye-opening window into just how toxic that world can be. But often I'm spared from that. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk about your other venture, which you have already written two books and now you've now written a third book. Did you, you were writing some of this book during a pandemic where you had your kids (laughs) locked up in your house. Well, how have you survived that? (laughs) Thankfully for me, most of that book was written before that happened. I think I finished the last, oh, I mean, I've been editing it through the pandemic, but the last major rewrites for it were just before I went away for a weekend, just took myself away for a weekend to a little Airbnb in the Blue Mountains to finish it, to really finish the book. And I think that was the last time we were allowed to go anywhere before recently. So it finished just before, sorry, it's getting a bit noisy outside the room, but um, anyway, um, I, one thing I knew I always wanted to do when I was little is write a book and I, didn't do it until I was 40. So I think that that's a lesson for us all <laughs> that you, you have plenty of time, hopefully touch wood yes. to achieve your dreams. You know, what a cheesy phrase that is. Um, I, always, I, I have always been a massive reader and I always wanted to write a book. I never thought that I could or was talented or capable of it really until I came to Mamma Mia and worked with the kind of women that I've worked with here over the years, many of whom have written books. Oh, I think of babies visiting, sorry. Um, who, a lot, many of whom have written books and I have suddenly became like a possibility, something I could see and touch. And then the idea for the Mummy Bloggers, which is my first novel, came about from obviously my experiences of working and writing online. And particularly in the world of parenting writing, which I dabble in a bit. And I host a parenting podcast with Andrew Daddo called This Glorious Mess. And we, it was at this point when mummy bloggers, which is a term that everybody hates, 
but sorry, everybody, um, were becoming really famous. And they were kind of breaking into the mainstream and being the kind of people that were on the front of the Daily Mail and all the rest of it. And I thought, there's a story here, there's a really good uh, fiction story here. And so I had the idea for the mummy bloggers and I made myself write it. I wrote that book really quickly. When I look back, I'm like, oh my God, how did I do that? But I wrote that book really quickly because I just felt it. Um, anyway, I was lucky enough that that got published and I, by Alan Unwin. And I, like, it's, I'm so proud of it. Like I'm, book writing is very hard. <laughs> um, but it's just the most extraordinary feeling to finish it. You know, like, it's like a, ma a massive version of how people always say, well, you never regret a swim or you never regret going to the gym. And you're like, yeah. yes, I do. I want to do that. <laughs> yeah. um, it's like a massive version of that, like writing a book itself. It's a lot of slog, a lot of hard work, a lot of self-doubt, a lot of sitting in your room, in my case, hiding from my family on my bed, just <laughs> going, I'm shit. This is shit. This is never going to work. But then when you finish it, like it's a it's a rush and a sense of satisfaction like nothing. And then if people like it, all the better. And the mummy blog is was pretty well received. So that was that was great. Yeah. So with your third book, I want you to explain to me then how you got the topic for your third book. Because the first two topics, as you said, the first one's about mummy blogging, and then the second one's about the whole world of self influences. Yeah, yes. self improvement. Yeah. How did you get the topic for the third one, which is about a marriage breakdown? <laughs> How did that happen? Well, uh, real life, not actually my real life. I'm not actually married, which is a um, confronting topic. No, it's not. <laughs> I, my partner and I. Brent have been together for 15 years this month, actually 15 years. So we're in a long-term relationship. We have two kids, we have a mortgage, we have all that boring stuff, um, but we're not married. I've never wanted to get married, but I obviously, a lot of my peers, a lot of my, my surrounding group of friends are in a similar life stage in that they are long-term relationships, dealing with children, career, life choices, and a lot of them are falling apart um, and I never take for granted that mine won't indeed one day, but hopefully not at the moment. Um, and one of the themes for this book, because so basically the book, just to set it up a little bit, is about this couple called Lou and Josh. They've been together for 14 years. They have two kids. Um, she's a teacher. He's a chippy. They um, have been unhappy for a time and Lou in particular has been really unhappy for a time. And she decides, she wakes up one new year and decides after a particularly bleak Christmas and decides to give her marriage a year to decide whether or not to stay or go. And during that time, she's going to try different things in their relationship to see if it's, you know, worth keeping basically. And one of the ideas I really wanted to explore in that is that I think that one thing I see around me a lot is that the stereotypical pop culture depiction of middle marriage. So, you know, that time the babies have been born, the wedding's long over, like the, it's the kind of long, boring bit in the middle. <laughs> um, but the depiction is often that it's the man who um, has a midlife crisis, starts questioning everything. What I'm seeing a lot around me now, because women, we have so many choices now, right? Now, obviously this is quite a privileged perspective, but for a lot of women these days, you have the financial option of whether to stay or go. You have a whole lot of reasons. You have a whole lot of freedoms that 
were not afforded to generations before us. Now, again, obviously that's a very privileged position and not the case for everybody. But what I see a lot around me is what would have once been classified as the midlife crisis behavior is women get to do that now. Like we're all getting to 40 and looking around and going, is this it? What am I going to do next? What do I want from my life? Like, is this really how I want to spend the next however long of, of my life? And that's kind of what I wanted to explore. And that's what Lou does. And then the book is written from both her and her husband, Josh's perspective. And they go through the year trying to see if this marriage should be put down or not. <laughs> and that's kind of the book and hopefully it's funny and hopefully it's insightful and the people who've read it because it's not out for a while yet so not very many people have read it but say that it's a little bit uncomfortably close to home <laughs> well I cannot wait to read it I myself am not married but I have experienced a lot of marriage breakdowns and yeah I think that'll be really interesting to yeah really hear and see like how someone tries everything they can to put it back together if it can actually happen yeah exactly and should you or not you know like there's no rule that says you should so i really wanted to explore all that and um hopefully a lot of women will read it and feel seen in some way or another yeah that would be great yes so i have one last question for you as someone that has now written three books i'm going to give you the challenge of what is the best advice you can give to someone that wants to write a book? Well, <clears throat> I think the best advice I can give you is to have a good idea. <laughs> right? That's, it all comes from there. Have a good idea. Make sure that it's not, I don't think it has to be massively original as it has never been done before, but one that you believe in and that you can live with for a long time because writing a book is a massive undertaking. And then, and I know this is, this is advice that you'll often hear from writers, but it's just true. You've just got to do it. When I was writing The Mummy Bloggers, there were a million reasons why it could or might, have, or might not have worked or why I could or couldn't have done it. And I had a million other things to do, but I had to just treat it like I have no choice. I'm going to set aside this time in my day, every day, and I'm just going to write and some of it's going to be shit and I'm just going to push through. It's not what people want to hear because I think people want to think that they're going to be visited by a muse and it's going to make writing really easy and it's going to make everything but it's just not how it works you've just got to slog through that stuff you have to have an idea that you believe in and that you love and that is the most important part and then you just have to actually do it <laughs> don't wait for the muse to strike and and also one thing I've really learned from my experience and then talking to other authors is that everybody thinks that what they're writing is shit so don't be put off by that. I don't, maybe there are some men in the world. I'm sure there are some middle-aged men in the world who are tapping away going, this is genius. It's just <laughs> genius. Like the actual process of writing a book is a lot of self-doubt and I um, am no exception to that. So you've got to push through, push through your insecurity. And if you really believe in it, you've just got to keep going. It's, I would love I think that one of the things about women and young women in particular, but not only, is that we're really limited by our confidence, you know, and especially if your story or your life doesn't fit the narrative that everybody else is telling. I'm not saying that's necessarily the case for me. It's not. But, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if women had the confidence, more women had the confidence to be pitching amazing stories and getting picked up? by publishers that were telling us stories from all different kind of perspectives and backgrounds and life experiences in the way that men have done for a long time. Yeah. So I think confidence is a massive part of it and we just have to go, okay, I think my idea is good enough and then I'm going to work my ass off to make it happen because it's bloody hard work. 
And then selling books is another whole load of hard work. I won't even tell you about that, but it's like, I think people also have a thing that you write it and then the job's done. But the truth of it is, especially in the small publishing market like Australia is you write it and then the work begins. <laughs> oh yeah, so trying to find a publisher, that's the real fun. Yeah, trying to find a publisher. And then if you're lucky enough to find one who believes in you, um, then being able to like, I hear writers say, you know, you sell every copy of your book and you kind of do like it's hard yards, but it's immensely satisfying. And I think that for people who have always, who have writing in their blood, it's like, there's nothing else you'd rather do. Well, I'm very, very glad that you took up writing some novels because I think we're oh, very great. Thank you. Now we expect a fourth one just to come out of nowhere, the COVID. You should write one and be like, oh, this is what it was like. Surviving COVID-19, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that as subject matter. I have a feeling we're going to be batting away a lot of COVID books for a while now, aren't we? Um, but I hope, yes, there will be a fourth book, but who? But I don't know yet. We've got to get through this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> get through this one first. Have a rest. Have a break first. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's good. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Lovely, for letting me chat to you. I really appreciate it. And, yes, it's nice to actually finally speak to you instead of just listening to you three times a week. It it is it's lovely to meet you too properly thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the nasty woman club for more information on holly wainwright's latest book make sure you head on over to the link in today's show notes you can pre-order it now and if you haven't already make sure you check out mamma mia out loud and also holly's other podcast that she's a host of for mamma mia which is called this glorious mess If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a five-star review. Every single review helps this podcast and helps people discover it as well. For more stories on intersectional feminism and inspiring women with inspiring stories, make sure you head on over to thenastywomanclub.com and also The Nasty Woman Club on Facebook and Instagram. I'm your host, Demi Lynch, and I will see you all next time for another episode of The Nasty Woman Club.